So uh, this morning, the scripture will be brought to you by um, Nathan and Jamin. And then after that, you'll hear the voice of our own Kid City volunteer, Mr. Brian Lomax. Jesus went to say, in a little while, you will, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We, we don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking me, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. And that day you will no longer ask me any, anything. Very truly, I will tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will, will be complete. Though I have spoken figuratively, a time is coming when I will no, no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and into the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus, uh, then Jesus' disciples said, now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all of the things and that you do not even need to, need to have anyone ask you, the, you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming, in fact, has come, where you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so you may have peace in this world. Uh, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Brian Lomax, uh, and I've been attending Christ City Church for almost two years now. Uh, I'm part of the 17th Street Southeast uh, small group, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm a volunteer in Kid City with the 9-12 year old group. One of the things I love most about that group of kids and Kid City in general is just the genuine love these kids have for one another uh, and the energy and excitement they bring to the room every Sunday. Before we jump into the sermon, uh, I'd like to pose a question to the room. Turn to your neighbors for a few moments and talk about this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were 100% sure something was going to go just as you thought it would, only for it to not work out at all in a way that you'd hoped? Okay. Uh, were there any good ones out there? No? <laughs> all right, and so it's a lucky room. Everyone's, everything's going all right for everybody here. 
Okay, uh, <laughs> let's jump into the sermon then. <laughs> um, <clears throat> my friends will tell you that I'm a TV guy. Uh, I have an Excel spreadsheet that I use to keep track of all the TV shows I've watched. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have opinions on all of them. Uh, I'm taking full advantage of the golden age of television. And although right now I'm reading a book a week, so my TV consumption has dropped significantly in 2019. I have mixed feelings about this. <laughs> Uh, we can talk about my top 10 list of all-time great shows after the service if you're interested. In 2011, uh, HBO, having just acquired the rights to Tom Parada's novel, The Leftovers, arranged a meeting with TV producer Damon Lindelof. The cable television network had a simple question for him. Was he ready to come back to television? If Lindelof's name doesn't ring a bell for you, the TV show where he served as executive producer just might. Lost debuted on ABC seven years before this meeting took place, garnering rave reviews and picking up award after award. As the sixth and final season aired, viewers who had watched the show over the years through the epic twists and turns anxiously awaited the conclusion of what critics were calling one of the greatest TV shows ever made. But once the finale aired, the one question that many people were asking was this, how could a show that had gotten so much right over the years get so much wrong in the end? <laughs> <laughs> Lindelof, who had struggled with depression throughout the show's run as the pressure to keep producing magic grew, was shocked by the reactions to the show's ending. Stunned by the criticism the ending received, he eventually left all social media and described the weeks and months that followed as a bit of a personal hell. After taking some time away to pursue personal projects and to find healing in the wake of the lost finale, Lindelof did finally agree to return to television as executive producer of The Leftovers. The show was originally supposed to just fill the 10 p.m. slot after Game of Thrones on Sunday nights. <laughs> but what followed took even HBO executives by surprise. On its surface, The Leftovers is a story about the rapture-like disappearance of 2% of the world's population, some 140 million people. There one minute and gone the next, without a trace. But as the show progressed, a deeper meaning began to present itself. The mystery wasn't where all the people had gone. The mystery was how we move forward and heal in the face of unspeakable sorrow and loss. As Nate and Jamin read to us, Jesus told us that we would experience sorrow and joy. But what does it mean to experience those things in and with Jesus? The disciples weren't wrong to ask what Jesus meant when he said that in a little while they would see him no more and then after a little while, they would, see him, they would see him again. The first little refers to Jesus' remaining hours before the crucifixion, and the second little speaks to the resurrection to come three days later. But when you've been following someone for the better part of three years, and then one day they mention to you that they're going away for a bit, but they can't tell you where they're going, but they'll also be right back, it's fair to wonder why they're being so coy about their plans. I think it's easy to forget that despite everything the disciples had seen from Jesus leading up to this moment, they were human just like we are. But talking about it amongst themselves got them nowhere. Jesus knew they didn't understand what he was saying, and so he began to explain what he meant. The first lesson here is a simple one. It's okay to wonder what Jesus is asking of us, and it's okay to immediately not know. And when we don't know, we can look to Jesus for guidance because he knows what we desire. Now, just to be clear, this does not mean we should not look to each other to help figure things out. 
I can't tell you how many times in my small group and with friends I brought a problem to the group and walked away with an answer. I had some lot, a lot of smart people in my small group. <laughs> but we cannot forget that in Jesus, we have someone that we can bring anything to. Jesus knew that the disciples needed more clarity, but he also knew they needed more information. Their hearts and minds were not prepared for the sorrow that they would endure. Jesus acknowledges this sorrow. The disciples experienced sorrow through his death, and we experience sorrow in our own lives. Relationships ending, injustices in our communities, hopes and dreams dashed by things out of our control. Sorrow, in many ways, is all around us. We will have sorrow, but that sorrow will be turned into joy. Jesus' crucifixion and everything that came with it was not a bump in the road, but rather the way God's plan for our salvation had to be fulfilled. For our sorrow to turn into joy, Jesus had to suffer immense pain and death. That suffering was not meant to replace our sorrow with joy, but to turn our sorrow into joy. The, disciples, or the sorrow the disciples faced was directly connected to the coming joy of the resurrection, in the same way that the sorrow of a woman in childbirth feels joy when her child finally arrives in the world. In verse 22, Jesus says the disciples' sorrow was only temporary. Once they had witnessed Jesus' resurrection and had been filled with the Holy Spirit, their relationship would be restored in a new and fantastic manner that would extend into eternity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I lost my place. Hang on. <laughs> I promised that had been extended. Uh, that would extend into eternity. I promised that had been extended to all of humanity. Our sorrow. Our sorrows do not disappear because of our faith in Jesus. Our belief in who Jesus says he is mean our sorrows extend beyond our personal lives, but in the lives of the people around us. Their sorrows become our sorrows, and their joy, our joy. About a year and a half ago, I approached a friend of mine who I believe was struggling with alcohol. He disagreed with me, and it put a real strain on our friendship from that point on. I kept up the line of communication because I cared about him, and things eventually got back to a somewhat normal state. This past January, he admitted to me that he now believed he did have a problem, and it fed into a state of depression for him. He decided that he was going to seek help. Today, he's been sober for almost four months, and I couldn't be happier for him. His sorrow was my sorrow, and now his joy is my joy. We believe this. Those of us who call ourselves Christian believe this promise to be true. The promise that our sorrow will be turned into joy is steeped in the idea that God loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice his only son so that one day we could be with him forever. That promise was true, was true before Jesus died for us. It was true the day he rose from the dead, and it is true today. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In verse 33, Jesus offers us peace, an offer made in the most trying of circumstances. Because at that very moment, Judas was plotting with the Pharisees to have Jesus arrested. Jesus, who knew what would happen to him in the coming hours, offered peace to those who would abandon him when the moment became too much to bear. And yet he did not promise peace. 
He just offered it. In our world, where we wake up in the morning and grab our smartphones to see what we missed while we slept, going nonstop until we fall asleep again later that night, peace can be disconcerting, an intrusion on the deafening noise that is our daily lives. But that peace is what ties us to God and to each other. To God, in Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And to each other, in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This peace, a peace that surpasses all levels of our understanding, can be found nowhere else but in Jesus. I should note that by the time The Leftovers finished its three-season run in 2017, the show had received unanimous acclaim. Alan Sepinwall, referred to by many as the biggest name in television writing, placed season three first on his list of best TV shows in 2017, an accolade he had awarded to both previous seasons in their respective years. He stated that this had been his show of the year, of the decade, maybe, depending on how we count things like Mad Men and Breaking Bad, that debuted in the 2000s, and went on to say, the eight-episode final season was a miracle. Damon Lindelof's miracle redeemed him in the eyes of many. Jesus' resurrection is our miracle, our redeeming grace. The moment that forever separated the old from the new. Sorrow into permanent and glorious joy. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There will be troubles. There will be sorrow. Life will find ways to disappoint us. This has been promised. We will perhaps suffer. But we also know that Jesus has overcome these things. That is our joy, the hope we cling to when the, mo when the hardest moments seem darkest. Jesus does not promise us that a life following him will be easy. It will prove to be very difficult, in fact. But it will be rewarding and we will be better for it. Every time I serve in Kid City, I do my best to try and teach something to the kids that they'll be actually be able to use moving forward. What they don't know is how often they're teaching me as well. Before we start the lesson, we always talk about our high lows and what the upcoming week looks like. A few months ago, when I mentioned that I was stressed out about a project at work, kids were quiet for a moment. And Fiona O'Keefe set her cup of water down and asked, very matter-of-factly, well, have you prayed about it? <laughs> I told her I had not. She said, well, maybe you should try that. <laughs> <laughs> the kids in Kid City are the best of us. Amen. They are a credit to their parents and this church community. And it's been an honor and a privilege to serve alongside them this morning. I did pray about it, and everything turned out fine. We can take our sorrows, our troubles, and difficulties to Jesus because he has overcome them all. And that is the truth. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you for your sacrifice, sacrificing your son so that we could find joy 
in you and in the life that you've given us. <laughs> I pray that as we move forward, we remember that we do have joy in you and that we can come to you in everything. I thank you for this community. I thank you for the kids who are teaching us every day what it means to follow you. You're a wonderful God. And I can't thank you enough for everything that you've done for us. And in your name we pray. Amen. Um, can I hear? <laughs> uh, when you guys came in, uh, the connection cards were on, on, a, on your seats, but there was also a slip of paper on your seats as well. Uh, if you feel led, um, if there's any sorrow, troubles in your life, uh, I ask that you write it down on that piece of paper so that the kids can pray over it in the coming weeks. The best part about this community is the fact that we can come together and be there for each other. There's a lot of love in this room. There's a lot of compassion in this room. But I'm sure there's also a lot of hurt in this room. And we shouldn't keep that to ourselves. So if you feel led, you know, write it down, drop it off at the end of the service. Know that you've got some kid prayer warriors who are looking out for you.